Hi guys and welcome back to Molecule to Market. Um, if you're getting a little bit of background noise, it's because my two-year-old is snoring just behind me, just enjoying his afternoon nap on our vacation. Nevertheless, thanks for being here and as always, I'm your host Roman Segal and we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. My guest today is the lovely Dr. Sarah Stevens, who is SVP and Head of Early Development and Late Stage Operations at Quotient Sciences. I really enjoyed my conversation with Sarah. She is someone that I fortunately met a few years ago when my family relocated to Boston and Sarah and her husband were very kind to give us some pointers on, you know, relocating to Massachusetts with kids and all that type of good stuff. It's been incredible to watch Sarah's career continue to progress to where she is today in a very senior role in the executive team at Quotient Sciences. We covered quite a lot of ground today in 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 the interview, um, and particularly one of the things that I find fascinating, which we talk about, was uh, Sarah's I suppose non traditional pathway to where she is today. She tends to take on roles that you would traditionally associate with guys in the outsourcing space, and she is a real kind of role model for young women and we talk about that and include um she includes some fantastic tips for young female leaders uh look out for uh, the kind of the definition of translation translational pharmaceutics which is a concept that i didn't know about and how that helps with early phase uh, drug trials and also we cover some ground uh, you know on personal terms as well sarah was kind enough to be very open and transparent f- about her recent challenges with breast cancer uh, and that kind of uh, humility and vulnerability i think is a really beautiful thing in terms of just helping others in that situation for background um sarah is the senior vice president and head of early stage development and late stage commercial at quotient sciences with an oversight for all global sites and operational functions from early development programs through to late stage and commercial manufacturing. Sarah oversees deployment of Quotient's unique platform for integration, translational pharmaceutics, which eliminates white space between these traditional siloed drug development areas. Prior to this role, she was the VP of Drug Development Scientists with responsibility for drug development consulting and the creation of an integrated programs across the organization. Located in Boston, Massachusetts, Sarah's experience spans a range of scientific and leadership roles within the drug product contract development and manufacturing space. Sarah received her PhD in pharmaceutics from the University of Manchester and her M Pharm Pharmacy from Strathclyde University. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you get a moment today, uh, please give us a little five-star rating and on the App Store of choice and share this episode with a friend or a colleague that works in the sector. Thank you to my team, Hannah, Gemma, Tony and Roxana, who helped me pull all of this together. Uh, Very grateful for them because without them, this would not be possible. And beyond that, um, enjoy today's episode. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you for having me. 
our pleasure's all ours. It's been uh, it's been a while and in getting you on the show. So I'm really glad that we're we're able to bring your story to our listeners. So just to start off with Sarah, give our listener a bit of a overview of your background, how you got into the sector and how you got to your position where you are today at Quotient Sciences. Yeah, happy to. Um, so yes, I started out life as a registered pharmacist in the UK. Um, I graduated from Strathclyde University in Glasgow, which is where I'm from, um, and knew, I guess, from the outset that I you know, was more interested in, in following kind of the scientific path um, as opposed to the um, clinical route that, you know, pharmacy can also provide. So from there, I went on, continued with my studies for a considerable period of time, moved to Manchester in England and did my PhD in pharmaceutical chemistry formulation development there. Uh, from there, I went right back to Glasgow, actually, which wasn't necessarily in the master plan, but had a great opportunity to do some postdoctoral work back at Strathclyde University. Um, so from there, I made my move into the CDMO world, where I have remained ever since, um, and first of all, held bench scientist roles at a company that was then NCAP Drug Delivery, and we were focused on liquid fill of um, hard shell capsules, um, and I guess they've had a couple of different names above the door uh, since that time. From there, and actually coinciding um, with the birth of my first child, my daughter, who is now um, 11, um, I moved across to what was then Aptuit's sterile development and manufacturing business, also in Glasgow. So kind of unintentionally uh, remained in, in Scotland to begin with. From there, or within within the Aptuit site, I was responsible for the development part of the business, um, the early development part of the business there, and then went on to, to be the general manager um, for a few years before we moved as a family across to where we are now um, in Massachusetts. Um, so hopped across the um, Atlantic, and the driver for that was that the, the site in Glasgow um, had been acquired by AMRI. We were then part of a, a broader drug product division um, and we moved across here um, to Massachusetts where AMRI had a um, another sterile manufacturing site and I moved over here and became the general manager of the business there too. Um, so many, many years, uh, enjoyable years as part of Aptu and then AMRI um, you know, by then predominantly in kind of general management leadership roles within the drug product development manufacturing um, services space. And around two years ago, not quite two years ago, actually, um, made a you know significant move across uh, leaving MRI and joined Quotient Sciences where I am now. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, I guess, a significant moment in time for me. I actually was diagnosed with breast cancer um, several months before that and you know just kind of big turning point re-evaluation what I want to do uh, and it all kind of stars aligned in a way the opportunity presented itself at Quotient Sciences and so I made the move across there and spent the first nine months or so as part of our drug development consulting team. We have a really strong um, team of people that are incredibly knowledgeable across all parts of the kind of drug development 
um, process. They work um, consultatively, collaboratively with our customers as we, you know, scope projects and then go on to deliver uh, the work within the, the organisation. Um, so it was a fantastic kind of inroad for me. I was able to become really familiar with what Quotient does, what differentiates us, all of our services, you know, our customers and so on. Um, and then moved um, to a role as part of our exec leadership team um, with responsibility for all of our early development and late stage commercial services. So essentially spanning everything that we do um, across four of our locations, both here in the US and in the in the UK. So many follow-up questions. <laughs> so that, yeah, that's the part. Well, 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 firstly, um, I suppose, thank you uh, for sharing, I suppose, very personal details about your own challenges, health challenges, and it goes without saying, uh, Sarah, but we hope you're doing well and fine and are healthy now and you know i'm sure that's been a very challenging family uh, time for you and your family so i'm um, yeah. certainly very pleased that you're here and hopefully well to tell the story because i think you know it's yeah. takes a lot to not only go through that but to be able to to talk about it and so thank you f- for that um yeah. no no i am very healthy now and yeah no i i kind of appreciate the opportunity to talk about these things it was a huge shock to us I was you know pretty young 37 at the time um and so no I just I think it's important to flag um that this is you know can happen to anyone take you by surprise and so you know being aware and and being checked out I probably uh saved my life actually so wow well well I think for any of our Listeners, I think that uh, there's a lesson in, in there for all of us and appreciate, Sarah, you being so candid and, and open. I think that's ultimately very helpful for everyone else. And I, it's funny, you know, if I look at the, your career progression and, and the success that you've had, it's almost like uh, you know, many of the male guests that I've had on the show have followed a very similar path and in, in the nicest possible way you are very non-traditional <laughs> and that is is super interesting to me so how, how have you found that you know i looked at you know what what was the mri is now curia you know you were head of a site there and i believe you became head of a site uh, as you said in in near boston as well how has been what's that journey been like to almost be in roles that are traditionally associated mm-hmm. with with male leads but also you know breaking down some of those traditional barriers yeah, no, I think it's a it's such a huge topic, and it and my, I guess, experience and kind of perspective on that has most definitely evolved over the years. And I think you know when you're, or certainly when I was, I guess, younger and and starting out in these roles, I was in the UK and did not necessarily give a second thought to whether you know male, female, you know anything um, in that regard. I used to. I used to joke and say, oh, I feel, you know, younger than everyone else. And unfortunately, I can't continue saying that forever. (laughs) Um, It was not, you know, so my perspective, as I say, changed, I guess, as I was in these kind of general manager site head roles. And I know that at one point, certainly as as part of, you know, AMRI, we had a large number of facilities. And I think two, maybe even three of those, you know, site leads were female. And I think at the point I moved to the US, I certainly started to kind of see and feel the relevance of that a little more. Um, mm-hmm. I think things, you know, again, you, you grow, I guess, in experience and 
important not to try and be something that you're not quite honestly so there is you know there is no need to try and adopt more I guess stereo stereotypically male um you know behaviors um attitudes potentially so I think you know the importance of just you know understanding the value that you that a female perspective um can bring um you know that that kind of diversity of perspective experience whatever it might be um is hugely important so again I it was something that for me became more actively um Mm -hmm. you know I became more actively aware of that I guess and I see now you know the importance of that you know call it diversity in the in the boardroom or the around the table whatever that might look like within quotient I feel hugely fortunate that we you know our senior leadership is is equally um male to female and you know that that was not ever by design within quotient which I just think speaks you know strongly of the kind of the the culture the legacy culture the intention of of quotient leadership um but it is now something that I you know again think more proactively um about and again my encouragement to any younger female leaders is is really you know what I said be 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 what you are you don't need to try and be like the guy in the room um and yeah understand the the value that that diversity and and a female perspective can bring Mm -hmm. well you you just kind of almost semi-answered my next follow-on question which is you know we get a lot of female listeners to Molecules Market that are probably in their, you know, anywhere between mid-20s to, you know, 40 years old. So developing their careers in the outsourcing space on the CRO side, on the CDMO side. And, you know, in addition to what you said there, which I think are fantastic kind of words of wisdom around that, you know, you don't have to plagiarize the, the male perspective. Actually, the female perspective in that situation brings difference and diversity, which is incredibly powerful. You know, for, for younger females developing their careers in this space, any other kind of lessons or or things that you've learned along the way that that would help, say, someone struggling to get to that next level or being overlooked for roles or anything like that? Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question and, and topic as well. And I, I, you know, it's it's almost horrifying for me to think that there are younger females out there that feel constrained, frankly, on mm-hmm. the on the basis that they are female, that there is some sort of you know, glass ceiling. So I think that, you know, the MO has to be in some ways, you know, as younger people are progressing and, you know, do all the things that you believe you should do, have those difficult conversations, you know, whether it's with your manager, whoever it might be, some, you know, a mentor to really dissect the problem. You know, is it is it a problem of some kind of discrimination, whether it's intentional or, you know, unintended? Um, and are you doing all the things for your own development that, that you know, you should do regardless whether you're male or female. Um, so I think being really kind of analytical about a situation, if somebody is, is feeling that this is a problem, then I think speaking up, being articulate about that is, is hugely important and don't kind of just hide away and assume that that's kind of, you know, just how it is. Because, yeah, in this day and age, as I say, horrifying to think that people, um, young females might feel that way. No, well, here, yeah, yeah, I think that's a uh, very sage advice for, for for anyone listening. And you know, you mentioned obviously you've got you've got kids, and the other, the other thing that struck me about your career progression to where you are today, because you're in a very senior role and a very well respected 
business in in our our space and you you've done so whilst being a mum and you know I'm very conscious you know I look, my mm-hmm. wife very similar you know we have three young yeah. kids and watching her trying to balance that and us as a family trying to juggle that you know many of my team at, at remarketing or having kids and all that kind yeah. of stuff and it is a, it is a real real challenge to try and you know have a, a successful career but also balance mm-hmm. you know the time with the children <laughs> How have you managed to get that balance right? I appreciate there'll be times where you'll, be, you know, you'll probably be too slanted towards one side or the other. But I suppose, yeah. you know, again, one of the reasons I was really keen on getting you on the podcast is I think you're a great example of someone who has managed to achieve both things where you, you seemingly achieve it, you know, transatlantic career success mm-hmm. in non-traditional roles but also that you've you've had a family at the same time and you know obviously you've mentioned health challenges as well so mm-hmm. talk to us about how how you've managed to do that and any any kind of I suppose any advice for for people trying on a, on a similar trajectory yeah it's um oh my goodness I mean this I could go on at length about this so it's a it's a challenge without doubt um I think often there's a bit of a you know the analogy about there's the the ducks gliding along, but it's the legs going crazy under the water. So <laughs> I think um, a lot of uh, my husband and I often say this would this would be easy without kids. <laughs> um, so no, again, I I feel fortunate actually that in some ways you know there I guess there's a there could be a perception I've been able to to sort of have it all and you know again I I I hate this idea that anyone in this day and age might feel you know it's too difficult to do to do both and, and you have to make a choice and so on. Um, we honestly, we are uh, <laughs> masters of the logistics behind the scenes. Um, I We've tried, you know, I guess the additional challenge for us is, is when we moved over here, we have no, you know, family support, um, you know, that kind of emergency backup that we might have been able to find if, if grandparents were around. Um, so, yeah, we just have to manage it really carefully we as best we can uh, plan our schedules and travel schedules and so on to coordinate around the kids needs um you know we we clearly have had uh, we've explored probably every uh, childcare option that there is available um and we have just had to really work at that but it would be um you know I'd, i would be lying if i said that that was easy i genuinely think that is at times the hardest part of the job i carry a burden and I know my husband does too we carry the kind of uh, uh, shadow of parent guilt um, at all times you know we're we're traveling we're doing all these different things but at the same time it's provided incredible opportunity for our kids too they given the sector in which we both work they can somewhat relate despite being you know five and eleven as I said but you know they can uh, they have some degree of understanding of what we do and, and why we do it and I think that's hugely important and again going back to the conversation about um you know a a female in a traditionally I guess male dominated environment I like the fact that my daughter who is 11 sees you know what I do um and so you know I I I think that just provides growth opportunity for them um as well but no no it's uh it's tough (laughs) (laughs) so no no uh no magic bullets for for us which is uh i was i was hoping yeah i wish i had some sage (laughs) sage words of wisdom on that one but i'm not sure i do just uh yeah 
I was um, laughing when you, I was laughing when you said the you know the logistical piece and you know on a Sunday night I dread the words my wife says right let's look at the calendar for the next month and I'm like oh my god yeah. we've got to do it again and I'm yeah. sure many of us have got you know we have my calendar her calendar the shared calendar the kids calendar it's like <laughs> never ending thank god for technology um, and yeah. you mentioned your husband and I've had the pleasure mm-hmm. of of meeting Dave and um and actually, you know, for our listener, Dave had met, I think, originally about five or six years ago was at an event because he works in the space. And yeah. I ended up actually speaking to Sarah and Dave because when we moved to Boston, they were so kind to give us some time to kind of tell us what life was like in in Boston and Massachusetts with kids, which I'm very grateful for. So um, you see Dave leads an organization in the, in the CDMO space, a couple of sites in, in, in Massachusetts has done really, really well in 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 his career so yeah. again <laughs> i think i'm trying to remember you know of the hundred or so guests that i've had on i don't think i've had one where the couple have both been in the cdmo space and um, not necessarily you guys aren't i suppose head-to-head competing or anything like that i'm sure there's a bit of a overlap but what what is the dinner time conversation yeah. like? are you guys talking about say. technology <laughs> and industry trends and are we, you know tell us a bit of what that's like um yes I was just I was actually thinking as you were uh, setting the scene there dinner time in, in our house is is fascinating um so yeah we you know it's funny we we often wonder I think it's um fairly unusual I'm not sure we've even met any other kind of similar husbands and wife duos in the, the CDMO space, although I have come across many other kind of academic uh, power couples. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, we, we do, we do talk shop. I mean, that is for sure. We, you know, we've never, we're certainly not directly competing. Um, so, you know, we will talk shop in very general terms. Um, and then we have to make an effort to, you know, to to not talk shop. <laughs> um, so in some ways, you know, I think what it provides for us, though, is a, a good degree of understanding, some empathy, I guess, um, for each other and the demands of the, the roles that, you know, we've had and we have. Um, so I think that goes a long way, um, you know, in terms of just mutual understanding um, but you know we we do have to kind of actively press the off button as well. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it is a pretty unusual uh, situation, um, and you know we've worked with so many incredibly supportive um, people over the years um, who I think have you know in some ways really you know allowed us to um, enjoy our personal life as well as um, you know the pr- professional connections that we that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes it's a it's a funny one and it has it has positives and uh, and negatives <laughs> it, you know in, in 20 years if I'm still doing this I very much expect to be interviewing your son and daughter on uh, <laughs> leading leading global CDMOs and if there's if the M&A keeps continuing then we might only have two CDMOs by that point in the in the world well, so go. and they'll uh, they'll tell you they learned everything from their mum so. <laughs> yeah I'm sure <laughs> You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. In terms of the dynamic between working in, in Scotland in the CDMO space and obviously working on the East Coast in CDMO space, any any 
I'm sure there's lots of similarities, but any any differences that you've seen between operating on on either side of, of the pond? Yeah, um, you know, in some some respects, I've often felt you know the similarities are surprising. You know, there's been many many a meeting where I think, goodness me, if I close my eyes, I could be back having the same discussion. You know, in Scotland mm-hmm. and England, and 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 you know, so that when I first moved here, I was struck actually by some of the similar you know, the, the t- dynamic around, you know, operational challenges or how we address an opportunity or how we kind of rally as a team around a problem. Um, so that, for me, was a, a pleasant surprise. I think, too, though, there are, you know, obviously cultural differences. And I think often, you know, even outside of work, we can at times underestimate the, the cultural difference between, for example, the UK and the US in general, and then, of course, within the US, you've got the uniqueness of the East Coast, West Coast cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, again, I was you know, struck somewhat by that more in, in general terms. There's a real directness, actually, around the way that people operate, particularly on the East Coast um, in the States, which I, I actually think is quite you know, conducive um, to, get, to getting things done. Um, there at times in the UK, and again, not even to dissect the UK and its many subcultures, but you know there there can be uh, a, you know polite deliberation <laughs> at times, yeah. which you know, and again, strengths and weaknesses to both of those sort of cultural um, dynamics. But um, you know, particularly if you're in a kind of a you know an operational a manufacturing environment, um, you know, I can see some of the productivity um on the on the east coast us that that you can just looks a little different in the uk so again similarly that kind of mix of surprising things that surprise me um in terms mm-hmm. of similarity and also some of these more underlying cultural differences that that kind of impact you know the work day and do you find that it's not, i'm just genuinely interested on the last point there that there is a greater level of productivity in the uk that you see versus the US as in just from a site specific perspective or are they equal in terms of you know utilization of a site and productivity and getting mm-hmm. work done no do you know I think in the end you you know I don't think there are cultural influences that directly you know impede productivity in one place or the other I think the approach is to get there so some some of the you know the drivers the the way in which you work with people to really, you know, unearth opportunity, drive productivity, so on and so forth, needs to be a little different. And, and I think that relates much more, again, you know, to the underlying um, culture. But I don't think, I wouldn't say, you know, oh, it's much easier to be productive here or there. I just think the how you get there can look a little different. Yeah, no, that's fine. I think that's a really interesting perspective, actually. And I think for anyone that's doing work on either side of the ocean, uh, sorry, the Atlantic, it's a, it's a good insight to have uh, kind of slight differences but it's funny you know I've got a lot of friends who are Glaswegians and I do find the Glaswegians <laughs> are tend to be very direct and when I lived in Boston it was like I was living my mates in Boston are pretty much exactly the same as my yes. mates yeah. in Glasgow which I think is I think is probably more you know obviously northern and Scottish I think tend to be a little yeah. less a bit more no nonsense and direct versus uh you know a politer southern friends, I would say. I completely um, yeah. agree. I completely so yeah, suits me fine over here. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's probably worked out well. And you you start talking about quotient sciences and your you know, you had some 
you know, obviously you, you were phenomenally successful at Curia and you, you, I think, you know, I know firsthand you're very, very well thought of there because I know several people at the organization. So what, what was it about quotient sciences that interested you, that intrigued you to want to try something different? And, and I suppose secondary to that as well, you know, for any of our listeners that have heard of quotient or haven't heard of quotient, give us a bit of an overview as well of, of the organization because it's really grown substantially in in recent years as well yeah definitely so if i start with that you know the kind of i guess why quotient for me definitely relates you know to to what quotient is where it came from where we are as an organization now so quotient um you know is is an organization that really uniquely um provides services kind of end to end across drug development so all the way from you know drug substance um manufacturing, great material science, pre-formulation capabilities, formulation development, GMP manufacturing, and then really uniquely, we have two in-house clinics in which we can um, dose volunteers um, and then use a, you know, an almost real-time feedback loop to analyse that um, you know, human PK data, feed that back into our formulation development and manufacturing strategies. So essentially, that's a, a really unique platform that we have. It's translational pharmaceutics. Quotient have been running these translational pharmaceutics studies for you know an excess of 15 years, hundreds and hundreds of successful studies on the books. And again, it's that elimination of the kind of traditional white space between all those you know distinct service areas that other CDMOs offer. Just and just sorry to interrupt there. Just mm. so I suppose from my understanding, is are those clinical studies are they do they typically very early stage studies or could this be a you know a full scale phase three trial as well? Yeah, really early stage. So at present, it's you know it's really phase one, um, yeah. person human phase one, um, and essentially it's really enabling our customers to get to that you know all critical early data fast. Sure. Yeah. And we'll okay. be able to you know respond and adapt as opposed to going through the kind of traditional you know, animal models, making, you know, assumptions outside of um, uh, human data, which then, you know, prove not to correlate with human data. So incredible kind of time and obviously, therefore, uh, cost savings for our customers. And then, you know, again, uniquely, we can we can take customers from there into, OK, so what do we need to do um, to ready ourselves, whether it be the formulation, the manufacturing process or even you know, simply the production of batches for later phase um, supply. And again, we have all of this capability within the organisation, within a relatively small footprint of five mm-hmm. sites, two in the US, three in the UK. And again, I think that's important because as an organisation, we can kind of retain almost the, you know, the intimacy of a smaller um, aligned single project team um, that covers, you know, this this vast um you know, range of different services, as I say, all the way from drug substance through to your late phase and commercial manufacturing. It's it's fascinating. And I have to, you know, one of the things that intrigues me about the model is it's relatively unusual in this space, which I think makes it interesting. And, um, you know, within my organization, we have people that come like myself from a CDMO background, and we have people mm-hmm. that come from a clinical research background. I suppose, how do you and one train of thought is they're very different, you know, they're very mm-hmm. different business models and, you know, you, you yeah. can't possibly do everything. And, but I suppose I'm interested in understanding 
how have how do you find the integration of those pieces? Mm-hmm. Because they are, you know, dosing patients in the clinic is yeah. very different from, you know, I suppose a formulation development lab, which is very different from a, a manufacturing site. So it's like I'm just interested yeah. in how that how you, how they're all yeah. molded together. It's it's a fascinating yeah. concept. Um, no, I I completely agree, and it was something that long intrigued me about quotient before <laughs> um, before joining the organisation. I you know I think what you've you know bottling that is kind of the special sauce. So it's really you know anybody can offer all these different services and you know apply the right organizational structure management processes to deliver it is that integration I think that's kind of the key word in a way of of how do we bring this together such that we are not you know diluting the very different needs processes regulatory environments even for all these different um services but we do it in a way um that again allows that smooth transition from one to the other and the collaboration so you know mm-hmm. it's it's a really difficult thing to bottle I mean I think as evidenced by the fact that not not many I think others may try but um you know quotient has this really long successful track record of doing this and it comes down in my view to people um for you know willingness to collaborate to think differently um of course we have you know kind of the more tactical the process the time it takes to do this the kind of the who does what and when but at the end of the day the thing that that really elevates it and brings value to customers is the way that we absolutely work within our organization across those those silos so you know even my I guess part of the organization it's it's roughly half and half the kind of farm side drug product development manufacturing folks and the the clinical teams so we are in you know integrated leadership teams integrated project teams we operate project teams on the ground as really you know cross-functional um groups with extremely collaborative ways of working you know you'll find in our nottingham facility for example the original um mm-hmm. quotient site you know that is a single site offering where you've almost got the kind of upstairs downstairs um and people are are, are working together moving between the different areas um you know our farm side labs gmp areas and our and our clinics to deliver these really unique studies and it's funny when you when you say that I'm thinking about our customers part of what we do is really help customers break these silos too um you know we we often find ourselves you know we're working with entirely different groups subsets of people from a customer for example the CMC team versus the clinical team you know and part of what we do is really try and help our customers bridge those those gaps too and, and come together um you know, with some some sort of shared goals for mm-hmm. for the work, whether it be early CMC or you know, again, evaluation of, of clinical data, for example. Um, so it is unique, and that that's the bit that's the special sauce um, around how we deliver this so successfully. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating model, and you know, hats off to coaches who've managed to you know pull this off to date. And and it's funny because I remember. When I first started my business, we had a client, a CDMO client in Nottingham and Quotient were nearby and were very much seen as, well, we don't compete with them. They do kind of patient stuff and you know, they're not making, <laughs> but obviously it's been incredible to watch the business yeah. grow and evolve into something. And I suppose we're kind of tipping into one of the areas I wanted to ask you about, which was around, you know, the future and trends as we go into mm-hmm. 2023. So I suppose on that point, I suppose before going into, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, things our listeners should be thinking about or looking out for in 2023, mm-hmm. this, the model that you guys 
uh, do you see others trying to adopt a similar approach? Um, Mm -hmm. I can see why they would try to do that, but also see the challenges, the inherent challenges that we've already explored. But do you guys see that as being, you're a bit of a pioneer in that space and that probably is going to be the way forward? Or do you envisage, I suppose, the traditional approach, which is a relatively separate, albeit there might be some loose strategic partnerships or or that type of thing? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I think, I mean, in terms of others, and we do see others, um, you know, trying to adopt, this approach, and again, completely understand why. Um, you know, we see that as healthy, to be perfectly honest. We've been doing this as an organisation for so long, as I said, certainly well in excess of 15 years now. And, you know, the the old school quotient folks will tell you it was not without its challenges for, you know, for, for probably the first few years. Um, so it's really that learning curve, you know, adapting, responding to things that didn't go well, you know, so the learning curve, um, you know, the the ability to kind of implement this takes time um, and, a, and it's not all, you know, quantitative stuff. There's a lot of, um, you know, soft behaviours and, and processes that, that go in to make it a success. So, you know, I think we see any competition as healthy competition. Um, and yeah, I don't think there's too many people um, necessarily uh, trying, but, you know, um, so yeah. Mm, competition is <laughs> yeah no absolutely and you know you, you yep. the market is buoyant and there is a mm-hmm. you know there is enough business to go around at the minute yeah. or is there i suppose and that asked me that leads me nicely <laughs> on to one of the things i was going to ask you about you know where yep. you know we're staring down the barrel of a you know a difficult year for the the capital markets particularly in mm-hmm. in where you are actually in in the in on the east coast mm-hmm. where the funding is dried up versus it's still certainly high, but certainly dried up versus 2021. How is that impacting you guys? And obviously you throw in, you know, political things from your perspective, mm-hmm. UK, US, <laughs> it's yeah. all a bit crazy. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the day we're having this conversation is uh, another mm-hmm. you know, interesting day for the US government, uh, sorry, the UK government. And yeah. inflation's high, you know, there's a lot of macro factors impacting the sector. And then obviously the, the, the the dwindling of 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 capital as well are you guys seeing yeah. given your focus on early phase companies yeah. that you know see is, is that something that you're seeing an impact on yet or you expect to see in the next year or two yeah i think um i mean i agree with you it's kind of a, a crazy a crazy time um at a, a kind of a macro level and i think more than ever um consideration of these you know somewhat uncontrollable if you like uh, macro factors is certainly something that we, is an active part of our dialogue I see you know the challenges like like everyone else of the broader kind of economic climate heading likely into to recession and so you know as you rightly call out that kind of the, the subset of funding for for early development work is something that you know we our investors um Premira, have been keeping a really close eye on we are not seeing, you know, material impact right now um, within our organisation. And I, I do think, again, you know, slightly philosophically, the way in which we, you know, we're in a sector that will continue, you know, and, and in fact can become even more important at times of kind of global hardship. So, you know, it, it's a good sector to be in. We offer, um, as I mentioned, by way of translational pharmaceutics, this real opportunity to save time and money, which, of course, becomes even more important. Um, so, you know, as 
development of medicines continues, which it, it will and it and it must, we are positioned well, um, even at times where, you know, funding will slow um, mm-hmm. and potentially, you know, reduce. So I think it's that balance of, you know, we're in an environment that we cannot directly control, but are we positioned and are we kind of controlling the things that we can, if you like, in order that we can, you know, continue um, to bring value to, you know, such a critical area of, of medicines development. So without doubt, it is, as I say, an active uh, point of discussion. Um, you know, you see the kind of internal impacts, if you like, as well around, you know, just challenges that I know everyone is experiencing with, with recruitment of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a challenging job market in which to operate. So again, very much a, a philosophy of, you know, kind of looking after our, our people um, and, you know, doing what we need to do to retain, develop uh, talent in-house. Um, so how is it like, I, I suppose, given your focus and um, again, I appreciate you're from a CDMO background more so than a, I suppose, a, mm. a, a clinical research background. What I'm just interested from a, a patient recruitment perspective, mm. like, you know, obviously you guys will have to be involved in that piece at times as well. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm just trying to figure this out in my own mind. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. increased living costs, inflation's high. Yeah. Um, d- does mm-hmm. that typically lend itself to more people being open to being involved in early phase trials? In mm-hmm. and you might not be able to answer that definitively. I'm just, I suppose, curious yeah. to know if that's something that you guys see is, yeah. I say, a potential benefit of of, of the situation. Yeah, no, that's a great point, actually. I mean, and yes, yeah, it's, it's the, you know, the, the vol- volunteer recruitment for us both in, we have a, a clinic in Miami in the US and, and one in Nottingham in the in the UK. So, you know, again, we, our long histories, I think, um, really enable us to, you know, retain strong panels of volunteers. Um, I agree with you. I actually think that, you know, particularly there's that kind of subset of, of younger people um, who are really willing to, you know, do creative things to to make money at times of need. So I, I again, on the basis of no data, I agree that, um, you know, for a certain subset of the population, you know, we may, I don't think we're going to see dwindling numbers of, of volunteers recruited, um, put it like that. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. I think that's it. And it's, 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 again, it's something you probably, we can't say definitively, can we? But it's <laughs> that it sounds like you have a similar take mm-hmm. and, you know, where, you know, when it's so expensive to buy bread and milk and gas is going up and everything else, yeah. you know, people are going to have to find alternative ways and either they've mm-hmm. got a side gig <laughs> yeah. doing something yeah. or they decide to enroll in a, in a voluntary kind of patient trial, which again, yeah. I, I could, I could see helping. And one, one phrase you've said a couple of times that you wanted to just to come back to, because it's not one that I, I necessarily have come across. You, you talk about, um, I think it's translation, trans, relational pharmaceutical yeah Yeah, which i it's not it's not a a phrase i know specifically so is this is this something unique to you guys at quotient Mm -hmm. and if so what does it what does it mean i suppose how do you guys define it um just because it's um, and you you might tell me, oh, it's a very well-used name. And I, I literally, I'm, I just haven't come across no, it. Because no. I, I, you've said it a few times. And again, for our yeah. listeners who probably sitting there thinking, mm, what, yeah. that's an interesting phrase. What 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 does Sarah mean? Like, do you mind yeah. just kind of articulating what that what that means? Yeah, absolutely. It clearly, um, it doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue. So you're not alone. <laughs> um, so <laughs> translational pharmaceutics. 
um, that is a, I guess, a, a trademarked uh, quotient um, phrase. Um, and translational pharmaceutics is really, if I, you know, distill it to something really simple, is essentially our that unique platform, you know, that quotient um, developed over the years, which essentially is our, I mean, in super simple terms, it's make test cycles, um, you know, really efficient, quick turnaround, cross-functional make test cycles. Mm -hmm. So we are integrating formulation development, GMP manufacturing um, of a range of dosage forms, then dosing those within our um, clinics to our volunteers doing the analysis, the data sciences um, expertise is, is another you know, really strong part of quotient, doing the analysis and using the results of that to say, hmm, okay, you know, the exposure looks good here or this you know, mm -hmm. PK profile is just not what we thought it was going to be. And therefore we circle right back into that formulation development um, expertise. And you know, at best we're doing that across, it, we're talking weeks, you know, not, not months um, for wow. these, call it, call it make test cycles. Amazing. I, I, I figured it was that mm -hmm. what you'd almost describe before in that kind of, um, it reminds me a little bit of the tech world where they do kind of MVP product testing very quickly and get data mm -hmm. back and fix things and refine things. And yes. it's almost an agile methodology, albeit for, for dosing yeah. and formulation development, which I think is is super interesting. I actually don't, I can't think of a guest that's been on and to talk about that in, in such specific terms. So I think it's really interesting mm -hmm. that you guys offer that service. And I know we're, we're running out of, of time because I've kept you long enough, but I'm sure we could talk okay. all day. Um, I suppose mm -hmm. I just wanted to rewind back. Um, you know, we've covered obviously some trends in, in areas of expertise. And I suppose one of the things I've taken from today's conversation is i think genuinely you are a, a tremendous role model for for young females in in the sector and and anyone that's looking to grow a career you've you've somehow managed to balance life and in, in you know, health challenges and you know all that kind of stuff and you know if you could if you could go back and give your 25 year old self some advice you know <laughs> think back of what 25 year old sarah was you know what what would you have said if anything, differently to to the person, I suppose you you become. Oh, that's a big question. Um, goodness me, I stay I clear of Dave. Stay clear of Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take your husband carefully. Um, yeah. Um, goodness me. Other than you know, perhaps don't go out partying quite as much as I. I used to. <laughs> that's um, that's, you know. that's exactly what mine is, by the way. That's hilarious. So, um, you know, there's that. I think though. You know, as I look back, I think I was honestly, unknowingly, unintentionally grabbing all the opportunities that I could see. Um, they weren't necessarily placed right in front of my eyes. And so, you know, I think if I could go back in time, I would I would do that as I did, probably with a little bit more, uh, you know, thoughtfulness. Um, so I guess my words of wisdom um, would be be confident. I was not, you know particularly confident I probably come across more confidently than I, I at times feel even today but so I think you know be confident in your choices don't what I said at the start don't feel you have to be something other than you are to compete um you know and at, at 25 I was probably um you know fell somewhat again into into that category so yeah grab every opportunity create your own opportunities it's not always obvious um and do not beat yourself up too much over failure things will not always go right mm -hmm. and it's such a cliche but true you learn an awful lot um you know from making mistakes 
So yeah, maybe I could have made fewer mistakes. <laughs> but as I sit here now, I'll say I, I learned from from all of the experience. So yeah, go out, grab it. Don't be shy and don't be afraid of um of failure. And is is there one? Um, thank you for that. By the way, it's absolutely brilliant um, advice for for everyone. But any mistakes that come to mind that you in you know. You know, I've, I've literally written a book about my own mistakes, so yes, I'm very open yeah. about the mistakes. Are there any that come to mind and that that you know you reflect back on and and almost a mistake that probably felt catastrophic at the time, but actually might have been a genuine silver lining because you learned so much from from the episode. Joe, you know, again, it's a good. There's not one singular thing. I think when I I, I look back, you know, you, your experience helps evolve you know personality and how you respond in certain situations and I think you know I have always been pretty direct I think I perhaps would go back and when making decisions perhaps do that in a a slightly more considered way um so I think you know again not so much that there's something I absolutely would not do again um, but maybe the approach and how you go about things and you know transitioning from some of my earlier roles um into different ones I think I don't regret any decision that I made I think they were the right ones um Mm -hmm. but I think at the time you know I was probably a little more hot-headed or you know more worried actually about what other people thought (laughs) if Mm -hmm. I really so I think going back I would worry far less about that and have confidence in the choices I was making that's it it's a great kind of ending point and you know I, the the phrase I constantly tell myself is respond don't react and uh, and uh, it's it's that kind of something happens in your instinct is to react to the situation and sometimes it's useful to just take a breath or two and have a bit of thinking space before <laughs> responding to a situation and that can lead to a very different outcome and um, I think that's a great place to conclude the conversation today Sarah honestly it's been so lovely to have you on the podcast I know this is going to be a popular episode and I'm expecting you know many comments and feedback because uh, you know you you really are inspiration to to many people in this space and it uh, goes without saying but we, we wish you you know good health in the future and in given what you've been through and thanks for being so open and honest and authentic on the on the interview today because it's been uh, fantastic oh same to you thank you so much um thoroughly enjoyed the conversation so i appreciate the opportunity thank you thanks take care Hi again, thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.